Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're in church together. Uh, we're in church together. Glad you're here today. Uh, I'm going to get into the message in just a second, but before I do, I want to just really quickly uh, tell you about what's starting next week. You know, we've been taking the fall to read and study the book of Acts together, um, and I told you at the beginning that it, it was going to be a while, so we would just take some breaks along the way. So today, we're going to teach on this in Acts 9, and then we're going to take a break. And for the next two weeks, um, I'm going to spend some time talking, we're, we're going to call it Open Hands, it's our Open Hands series, uh, but really it's a series about the immediate future of our church. I'm going to be taking uh, those two weeks to talk about uh, where our church is headed, specifically when it comes to the renovation, when it comes to uh, the building, what we're trying to do in the short term. We've already been talking about what we're trying to do in the long term, but also we're going to spend some time uh, specifically talking about how you can be a part of that um, and what, what that entails and what that involves. And so it's going to be a chance for me to share my heart and hopefully for us to be inspired and to uh, ignite some faith in us. And so as your pastor, I just want to encourage you to be here uh, these next two weeks as we talk about living with open hands and what uh, I believe God wants to, to do in our church in the immediate future. All right, so that starts next week. But today, uh, we're still taking some time in these messages we're calling wildfire, where we're studying the stories of the first Christians. That's really what we're doing, is we're going to the New Testament book of Acts, because it is the Acts, it's the actions of the first Christians. And we're trying to learn what it is that they did, that we could do, what it is that they had, that we can have, because what happened from those first 120 Christians over the next 10 to, to hundreds of years to then thousands of years is unprecedented. The message of Jesus, the influence of the church spread like wildfire. So 120 Christians turned into a few thousand to a couple hundred thousand to uh, a few million to a few hundred million to where now today there are 42 and a half billion people on the planet who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, who profess a faith in Jesus. And that all started with these first 120 Christians that would get together and they would worship together and they would pray together and they would study together and they would share their lives together. And so we've just been taking time to read these miraculous, remarkable stories, trying to be inspired and asking God, God, what... What, what do we need? What do we need to do? What do we need to have in order to see the kind of influence and impact and miracles that they experienced in their life? We want to experience some um, in our life. And so today, we get to what is potentially, I know pastors say this all the time, but potentially the most important story in all of the, the history of these first Christians. The day of Pentecost, we read that story. It was very important, obviously, uh, for the history of the church. But this story today, when you talk about how the church spread and how Christianity spread, you get to the story today of the conversion of Saul, or Saul of Tarsus, who will eventually be Paul. And it is uh, probably the most important, or at least we could say the turning point, the turning point for how this small group of Christians in one little city begin to spread into a large church in different countries and nations and, uh, and around the world. And what we can see from this story and what we can see in all other examples where, where there is a move of God, call it a move of God, call it revival, call it whatever you want, 
But whenever you're able to look through history and see where God does something remarkable in a church or in a city or in the lives of people, you're always going to find miraculous transformation, miraculous conversions, crazy stories of people who you would assume would never be interested in God, the biggest cynics, the biggest skeptics, the quote-unquote worst sinners, the most hostile, the most threatening, you're going to find always stories of miraculous, radical conversion and transformation. This is one of the hallmarks of a, of a move of God, of a revival, if you want to use that phrase. It's not just where the church people to come together, but it's also where the people on the outside who the church kind of assumes would never be interested gets drawn in and experiences Jesus in such a miraculous way that their life is completely transformed, completely transformed. And that's what we see today in our story. So here's what we're going to do. Our story today teaches us three things. I'm gonna, we're going to talk through these three things. We can learn three things from this story. The first thing is uh, we're going to look at who can become a Christian. That's the first thing we learn in this story is who can become a Christian. The second thing is how you become a Christian. So who can become a Christian? how you become a Christian. We learn those. And then the last thing that I want to talk about from this story is how you can be sure you are a Christian. So who can become a Christian, how you become a Christian, and how you can be sure that you are a Christian. We see that in Saul's story. So let's look at those three things, all right? The first thing that we see in this story and learn in this story is who can become a Christian. Who's allowed to be a Christian? Who's allowed to come to God? You know, who, who, who's not allowed? Who, who has to stay on the outside and who's allowed to come to Jesus? And even as I say that, we kind of laugh a little bit or know where this is going because we know most of us, I would say, in the room know how Saul's story ends and we know how it begins. So it's hard to really kind of build any suspense because you know where this is going. But imagine for a moment that you didn't know how this story ended. And I told you that there was a man whose mission in life, his job, was to arrest and to murder Christians. This is happening in the world today, obviously. But imagine I, I told you that I was inviting a friend of mine to church. You say, oh, that's great. How do you know him? I said, well, we were in jail together. Okay, wow, I didn't know you were in jail, Jason, but okay, keep going with the story. All right, yeah, well, he, he murders Christians. And I said, he's coming to church with me. You'd be like, he was the, he did what? Does he still do that? Like, where's, has he been reformed? Like, what's the deal, right? So I want you to imagine for a moment that you didn't know how this story ends. And I said, there was a man who not only was trying to, but was effective in and had the government support to kill Christians, pull them out of their houses, away from their children, and kill them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, like, what was happening. He wasn't just posting mean things on social media. He, he wasn't just being mean to people or bullying. He was killing. He was murdering. He was ending the lives of people solely because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so you know, because we've already read it, he's going to become a Christian. But I want you to think for a moment, if you were put in that position, where I told you that that person, that guy, was coming to church this morning. While intellectually we know that God loves everyone 
and that anyone can be saved. Intellectually, we know that's true. But isn't it also true that there are certain people we kind of write off? Be honest for a second. I'm a pastor. I do it. I'll admit it. We know that God loves everyone. We know that anyone can be saved. But there are also people we've kind of already written off like there is, first of all, no way they would ever even want to become a Christian. And if I'm being honest, Jason, if they wanted to, I'm not even sure like how that would work because they're, they're rough around the edges, big time. They, they've got a, a story that you've never heard before. It's crazy. And, and they would never want to be a Christian. And I don't even know if there's any way they could be a Christian. We do that. We write people off. And right now, I'd be willing to bet that all of you have someone or maybe a few people in your life that you've kind of written off. And you're like, I mean, God can do anything, Jason, but you haven't met my husband. You haven't met my boss. You haven't met my dad. You haven't met my neighbor. You, you, haven't, you haven't met them. Like, I, I know God can do anything but let's don't get carried away because that's never going to happen. Our story today is a great reminder that no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. No one is too far lost. And that God didn't save you because you were an easy save, but he's not going to save them because they're a hard save. No one's too far gone or too far lost. So who can become a Christian? Anyone can become a Christian. Everyone can become a Christian. Every person, no matter who you are or where you are or where they are, is just one encounter, one real encounter away from Jesus, with Jesus, from having their life radically changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. There are, are many of you that that if I had said to you three or five or ten years ago, you know where you're going to be on Sunday mornings in ten years? Serving at Hope City Church. You're going to get there early. You're going to stay late. You're going to be giving money to the church. You're going to be helping in the kids area. I mean, you're, 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 going, to be, you're going to love coming to church. You'd call me a liar. You'd think I was crazy. But here you are. Here you are. And you're here because everyone is just one encounter, one real encounter with Jesus Christ away from being a completely different person. Look at me. Listen to me. I, I, all the people that, that feel written off, it's not just other people. Sometimes we write ourselves off. We think God couldn't love us. God couldn't use us. Maybe you're here today and that's your story. Listen to me. You're one real encounter away from Jesus Christ. One real encounter away from Jesus Christ, from being a completely different person. As a matter of fact, here's what I want us to do. I was thinking about this um, last night. We're going to stop the sermon right now, and we're going to take a moment to pray for all of the people that we think would never want to become a Christian. And I would think that you probably have their phone number in your phone. All right? So I want you to grab your phone out of your pocket. Maybe you got a picture uh, you know, of them, or maybe you just want to pull up their contact page. Now, be careful. Don't call them because we're about to pray for them. I mean, I guess you could call them if you wanted to. 
But there's a nephew, there's a son, there's a daughter, there, there's, a, there's a brother-in-law, there's a boss, there's a, there's a phone number in your phone that you are convinced, there's a person in your phone that you're convinced would never want to be a Christian. I want you to pull it up right now on your phone, and we're going to take 30 seconds, and we're going to pray that God, where they are right now, just like Saul on the road to, to on the Damascus Road, just like Saul, we're going to pray that God would get a hold of their hearts. We don't know how God's going to do it, and we don't know when he's going to do it, but we're going to pray that God would do something miraculous in their life. They're not so far gone that they're unreachable. They're not, they're not unlovable. And so right now, just take that phone. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I'm going to, those of you who've been coming on Tuesday nights with us, you've been growing in confidence, praying out loud, so I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So right now, would you just hold that phone up? You ain't got to like, you know, dislocate your, your shoulder. Just, you can just put it up kind of right here. And, and we're going to pray together for those people in our life that we feel like are too far gone. You ready? Pray with me. God, we're praying right now for every person that we have in our minds that maybe we've written off, the people that we feel like are disinterested, the people we feel like are too happy to ever consider Jesus, the people who are too miserable, the people who are too broken, the people who are too uh, uh, crossed off, the people who are too skeptical or too cynical, God. We're praying right now that the Holy Spirit, even in this moment, whether laying in bed or whether they haven't come home yet from last night or whether they're just going through their routine, being dependent on themselves, whatever it is they're doing, we're praying right now, God, that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of their hearts. Let them even know that right now there's somebody somewhere praying for them and that they are not too far gone. They're not too smart to be a Christian or any of those things, God, that you want to do something miraculous in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. Now listen, when God starts getting a hold of them, update me, all right? Yes. Let me know. Don't embarrass them. If they come to church, you don't be like, Pastor Jason, this is that person who would never be a Christian. Don't say that. <laughs> just say, just, just like look at me and be like, and I'll know. I don't know what that was, but I, I'll know. I'll know. Okay, so this is the first thing we learn from Saul's story, and it gives us hope this morning. Listen to me, parents of that teenager that you think is like never going to talk to you again or ever come to church again when they turn 18 or whatever. Listen to me, mom, dad. Just listen to me. No one's too far gone. We got some hope this morning. Nobody's too lost, too skeptical, too cynical, too hateful, too bigoted too violent, anyone, everyone is one encounter, real encounter with Jesus away from being a radically different person, okay? But the second thing we can learn from this story, not only the first thing is who can be a Christian, we know everyone, anyone can be a Christian, one real encounter. But the second thing that we can learn from this story is how you become a Christian. Many, many, many Christians are sitting in this room right now, but not everyone who's here is a Christian. Maybe you've wondered that. Maybe somebody's asked you before and you weren't sure how to answer that question. Well, in Saul's story, a very dramatic story, we, we get the answer for how you become a Christian. And if you're like me and you grew up around church and someone asks you, how, how do you become a Christian? The standard answer maybe you would want to say or that you would just kind of say is, well, you have to ask Jesus into your heart. And I'm not nitpicking or trying to be contrarian because I I completely understand why we say that and where that comes from, and, and that's fine as an answer. But technically, the Bible doesn't describe that as how you become a Christian. You don't ask Jesus into your heart. That's not, 
the way that the Bible would describe it. Um, and that's not what happened in Saul's story. The Bible describes becoming a Christian as a miraculous, supernatural moment when your head and your heart finally realize who Jesus is. Let me say that again. The Bible describes the moment you become a Christian as a miraculous, supernatural moment when your head, what you're thinking, and your heart, what you're feeling, finally realize who Jesus is. The Bible would use a phrase like, um, the eyes of your heart are opened, right? Something like that. It's a real aha moment. And it doesn't happen instantly. Maybe it's not a one-time thing. Maybe it's over a period of weeks or months or years. You're on a journey. You're asking questions. You're unsure about things. But the, 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 the word conversion, maybe you've heard that word before, when someone's converted, what, what, what's happening in that moment, whether they're praying a prayer at church or raising their hand or sitting in a bedroom or driving in their car, that's neither here nor there. But there is a moment when their head and their heart finally experience who Jesus really is. It's not about the information they could quote or whether or not they cried or not. That's not it. It's, it's this realization, this miraculous supernatural realization where you go, oh, I, I thought I knew, but now I know. Have you had a moment like that? Because that's what happened to Saul. He, Saul thought he knew who Jesus was, and he didn't like him, the version that he thought he knew. But that day on that road, he finally met Jesus. You remember the story? We just read it. He said, who are you, Lord? Who, who are you? Who's talking to me right now? And he's not... There's other verses in the New Testament where, where, where Paul's describing his experience. He's not just like hearing a voice. He's, he's meeting a person. And on that road, on that day, he finally met the real Jesus. And your story is probably not as dramatic as his. Maybe it wasn't a bright light. You didn't fall down. You weren't blinded. But your story is dramatic. It is dramatic. Because you have this supernatural exchange, the Bible would say, where you realize who Jesus is and, and you get a new heart. Supernaturally, you get a new heart. You, you are now someone who, who believes in Jesus. That's why we say, as Jesus into your heart. And you're not just trying to be a better person or not trying to just make mistakes, but you, you feel as if there's something dramatically different about your nature, about your worldview, about your soul. It, you, you may not have the words for it, but you know there's something different about your essence. Have you had that? Have you had that? I want to read just two accounts from people of their conversion stories uh, in their own words. And the first one uh, is from C.S. Lewis. He described it this way. He said, Before God closed in on me, I was offered what now appears to be a moment of holy free choice. But I feel my decision was not so important. I was the object rather than the subject in this affair. I was decided upon. I was glad afterwards at the way it came out, but at the moment, what I heard was God saying, Put down your gun and we'll talk. This is 
This is how C.S. Lewis is, de- is, de- is describing that moment when he said, I, I, know, I know when I became a Christian. And it wasn't because I necessarily decided to do it, even though I did decide to do it, but I was kind of decided upon, and I knew God was saying, like, put down your defenses. Put down your defenses. One of my favorite is from the famous minister, John Wesley. He was an Anglican priest. He was already a priest, already serving in ministry, but he would say he was lacking faith and growing in misery. May 24th, 1738, begrudgingly attended a church service, sat in the balcony and heard the minister read the preface to a commentary from Galatians written by the reformer Martin Luther. And while he's listening to the words, this is what Wesley said happened. Wesley said, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley says, I felt as if there was, my heart was strangely warmed. Have you had that? Have you had a moment where you felt like God said, put down your gun? Have you had a moment where, where you felt like your heart was strangely warmed? Have you had a moment where you thought you knew, but now you realize you really know? Have you had that moment? And the reason I bring this up is because it's possible to be religious and to feel immense pressure to be a good person or a moral person or to be a good parent, live a moral life, but to never have had a moment where you feel as if you have become different on the inside. Not on the outside, but on the inside. Had a supernatural, miraculous change on the inside. I'll give you, I'll give you one more Lewis line reference. I, I use it all the time. It's what deep change was based on. You've heard me say it, but... Lewis describes it as the difference between teaching a horse to jump and giving a horse wings. Lewis would say religion is like teaching a horse to jump higher, but a relationship with Jesus is like giving a horse wings, and it flies. Have you had that? Do you feel as if your soul has wings? Do you feel as if you have taken on a new essence? Do you feel that? Saul had an undeniable experience with Jesus. And I don't know what road you are traveling on today. I don't know where you think you're headed. But here's what I know about Jesus is when that time comes, no matter where you're headed or how fast you're going or what road you're on, there will come a moment, if you have not had it yet, where you will collide with Jesus Christ. And everything up in your life up until that point will no longer make any sense. And everything moving forward from that moment will make all the sense in the world. Because you have changed. You've changed. And this is a supernatural thing, which good news, bad news, good news is it's not our responsibility. We've got somebody we're praying for. We've got somebody we're hoping for. We can't make them get saved. Listen to me. Stop badgering them. Stop, stop pushing them. Like, you're, you're, it's not working. God's got to do it. That, that, that's the good news is it's out of our control. The bad news is we hate things being out of our control. All we can do is love. All we can do is pray. And so we see in Saul's story a dramatic example. A dramatic example 
of how someone becomes a Christian. And, and I hope that you've had some type of your own dramatic experience. But maybe even as I'm saying that, you're like, well, gosh dang it, Jason, I hate when you talk like this because I, now you're making, I don't know. Like you're, and that's never the point. That's never the point. I'm not, that's not why I'm doing it. But we can, in our story today, find some assurance. How can you be sure that you are a Christian? How, how can you be sure that you're not just trying to jump higher and higher, but that you have wings? How can you be sure? Well, it's actually not in what we read. Kaylee read 19 verses for us today. But the next two verses, just two more verses, I want to read it to you. The answer is just a little bit farther down. How can you be sure that you're a Christian? Verses 20 and 21, where we read today, it says, Saul, after his eyes were opened, Ananias prayed for him. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they ask? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? How can you be sure that you are a Christian? I'm sure there's other ways we could talk about, but I, just one question I want to ask you today. Is your life changing? Is your life changing? Everything about Saul's story is dramatic. And, and in this example, we see that immediately, because he knew the Bible, he was a scholar, he knew all the information, but now he knows it. He knew it, but now he knows it. And so immediately he starts saying to people, I know who Jesus is. I've met Jesus. He really is the Messiah. Immediately. And the people who knew him or knew about him say, wait a second. They think maybe he's like, Playing a game. Like, oh, he's acting like a Christian. He's going to capture us and kill us. But immediately they see a difference in Saul's life. They say, isn't this the same man who was wanting to arrest and kill Christians? Now, listen, your testimony probably, I'm not writing out your testimony, but I probably would assume it's probably not murderer to missionary like, like Saul's maybe. But I wonder how the people who knew you or knew about you before Jesus would describe you after you met Jesus. How your spouse would describe you, your kids would describe you, your family, your, your boss, your friends, your high school buddies. What would they say? As you are living differently, talking differently, changing how would they say the sentence? Isn't this the person who, fill in the blank, but now he is, she is, fill in the blank. Is your life changing? And this is really a delicate topic. It's, it's, a, it's a nuanced issue because when I say, is your life changing, we have to be careful when we think about change to not think about it in terms of of changing ourselves, but being changed. And here's what I mean. We are all very good, and it is entirely possible to work really hard on your own to improve certain aspects of your life, but that's not the kind of change that I'm talking about. That all of us could make a list of 10 things we wish were better about ourselves and get to work on them tomorrow. But that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about change. Religious people can point to changes in their life 
But changing and being changed are two very different things. And when you are being changed, you're able to look back and see how you have been changed much differently than when you are trying to change. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in here knows what it feels like to carry the weight of trying to change. Someone else needs you to change. You want to change. Everybody knows that pressure, but there's a different kind of transformation that comes when you're being changed. Trying to change feels like pressure. It feels like being pushed. It's filled with lots of guilt and shame. And maybe for many of you in the room, that has been your religious experience. I feel like somebody's always pushing me. I feel like guilt is the tactic. I feel like shame is the tactic. But being changed feels like grace. Feels like being pulled and not pushed. And so it's entirely possible that someone is here this morning and you read Saul's story and you hear me talk and you would say, Jason, I... I have been around this my entire life, or I've been around this for a really long time, or maybe I started coming to church because my spouse or my girlfriend or my boyfriend wanted me to come, or because we started having kids and we want to be good moral parents, or because there was some problem in your life that brought you to church, and so you started coming and you liked it enough to keep coming back. But you would not say, you could not confidently say that you feel as if you have had a moment where you have truly met the real Jesus, and because you met him, you are being changed. You would describe your experience as more of like, I like it, and I'm trying really hard, and I'll figure it out. I'll get it. I'm trying. That's not what we are talking about when we say meeting Jesus and being changed. At the end of the verse 19, Ananias prays for Saul, and it says that the scales from his eyes fell off. Have you had that? Have you had that? You see the world differently. You see people differently. The scales fell off. We're gonna, I'm going to end my message, and we're going to take communion together like we do every week, and we're going to have the opportunity to pray. But before we do that, I want to just make one more point that I think is just so powerful. You know, as a pastor... Um, and I think all Christians do this, but as a pastor, it's true. You only ever confess the things that are covered by the statute of limitations. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let me tell you about what I struggled with long enough ago, you won't hold it against me. But I'm definitely not going to tell you what I struggled with yesterday. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you're going around your small group, it's like, yeah, like 10 years ago, I really, it's like, oh, really, 10 years ago, okay, good for you. But I was thinking about this this week about Saul because he was preaching to people that the week before he was trying to arrest. And if you're sitting in the crowd listening to him preach, knowing that you had just hid from him the week before, that's interesting. That's interesting. But it goes even farther than that because then I started thinking about this. So historically speaking, the story we just read Saul's now a Christian. He's going to be called Paul. He's going to, write, he's going to start churches. He's going to write letters. He's going to expand the, the church. Uh, he's going to go to Rome. Thir about 30, 31 years from the story we read today, he's going to die. They're going to kill him. He's going to die for his faith. And when he gets to heaven, he's going to see people he killed. Think about that. 
30 years from this moment, he will die. And when he gets there, he'll see people he killed. And the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Christianity is that the people he killed will be thrilled to see him when he gets there. Because that's the gospel. The gospel says, I'm, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm no better than you. You're no worse than me. We need a savior. We need Jesus. And they will be thrilled that Saul found Jesus, that Jesus found Saul. And he was their murderer. But when he gets there, they will be thrilled to hug his neck and to see him. And so as we come forward today and we uh, take the bread and we dip it in the juice, we get to be reminded today that we can be certain that no one is too far gone because we weren't too far gone. We can be certain that anyone could be saved because we were saved. And there will not be sections in heaven for the really bad ones and the rest of us. It'll just be the place where all the saved sinners go. Yeah.